0: to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have with me Sandy Scott, who has devoted her career to making physicians into leaders. And I've been fascinated with her podcast. She's a fellow podcaster and I love her show. And I'm so excited that she's on our show today so that she can help rising CMIOs, existing CMIOs to grow their career and and handle some of the struggles that we have. And so Sandy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much. And thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. If you would, tell us about yourself, how you got into this role that you're doing now why you pursued that path.
1: So I love answering this question, I think in part because it is still a surprise to me that I ended up here. So I'm gonna start with a little bit about myself then kind of back into how I got here. I live in Fort Collins. I'm a mom of two adult kids. I'm a wife, I live on 16 acres. We ride horses. And a funny note is we just got a boat last year. And the reason it's funny is we live on a reservoir seven miles long, and it was a total impulse buy, but that's a whole nother story. Okay. As a (laughs) professional, right? i pretty traditional at the beginning, went to school University of Iowa for a bachelor's degree, went to U Boulder for a master's, and then have had 25 years of coach training and experience. The life event that put a real sharp left turn into my path had to do with my oldest son, Zachary, who was born back in 91 with multiple severe disabilities. So looking back, I can now organize my life. And the way I've organized it is that about 10 days old, he stopped nursing. We went to the hospital to kind of check in and came out a week later with a diagnosis of severe cerebral palsy and a seizure disorder. And by the time of discharge, we were told we'd have about one year left with him. So, what I'll tell you is hands down, it is because of incredibly hardworking physicians that we just celebrated his 28th birthday. Um, Super Awesome. awesome. Yeah, seriously. And I'll also tell you that to this day, he has never walked, he's never talked. He takes 12 medications a day, but he has also finished his 50th triathlon with assistance goes to yoga on Saturdays, and he lives about eight miles from us in his own condo with a host family. And the reason I bring this up is because when I think about it, the, the journey was not easy at all. We were in and out of hospitals, and we were in and out of hospitals, but it was actually through that experience that I really gained an understanding of how difficult it is to coordinate quality care, especially across different specialties, what it's like to deal with breakdowns and workflows. We saw firsthand physicians working with insurance companies and actually saw what it was like to be the day in the life of a physician. So about 15 years ago, our family had really turned a corner. We were thriving, everyone was doing great. And I will tell you, I felt this completely unexpected calling to give back. And it was almost like this calling erupted inside of me to become a top 1% of certified healthcare coaches. And I really wanted to give back to the physicians who literally gave me 27 more years with my son than I would have ever had. So I started down that path of going through some real intense coach training that led me to Banner Health, where I helped build their coach strategies, coach their exec teams and their physicians, and then left because I really wanted to replicate the success of programs I was seeing in other systems with our own singular mission, which is, is really around teaching physicians and executives very concrete strategies and tactics to lead a life with purpose.
0: So you're not new to this field. How many physicians do you think you've impacted in your career?
1: I would say a minimum of 500 and I'll bet you I can tell you 480 of their names and how they personally impacted me.
0: So let's talk about physician leadership. The stories I hear from physicians that are in leadership roles is typically that they they just fell into it. It wasn't planned, but a door opened and they stepped through it and took a chance. Is that the norm for the physicians that you're working with? How do people become leaders?
1: Mhm. Okay, so first off, I need to start by putting in a disclaimer, especially given today's environment of COVID-19, and I just want to put a stake in the ground to talk about how physicians have been and continue today to be leaders. I think some physicians may not feel they're treated that way or may have gotten disconnected from that. But when I look at what physicians are doing today to just maintain their own balance, to navigate conflicts, inspire others, that is such a big part of leadership. And I just want to put a plug in for that. Yeah, big time, big time. Now I will get emotional, but I think y'all are, are going to lead us into the future, but we can talk about that in a few moments. <laughs> Regarding formal leadership roles, I um, will say yes, a huge number of physician leaders will say they fell into their, this role. It was never a goal for them. The way I hear people talking about it is they were bored with clinical work, wanted to learn something new, got an MBA, and then kind of poked around and found a role. I've heard of some clinicians that said they were just tapped on the shoulder and said, Hey, we want to invest in you. Would you do this? And that evolved into a role. The Physician Coaches Institute did some research and found that a large number of physicians who on their own accord started to lead some kind of initiative that led to quote, as you said, falling into a role. So physicians who would trailblaze some kind of work, maybe they're focused on some kind of performance criteria. Um, Other physicians uh, might champion some kind of vision, dealt with some form of resistance or led some kind of project, really has what you've said kind of fell into a project. I'll tell you one, um, uh, one quick story and that is I was working with a physician in internal medicine and he was very young in his career and wanted to invest in himself personally and professionally. So he wasn't particularly interested in leadership at all. As a matter of fact, when did an assessment, he discovered one of the things probably that was going to hold him back was that he was very cautious. So what I mean by that is he had an innate way of wanting to gather more detail, more data before he made decisions. And so we went through his discovery process and one of the goals he decided to set was during the coaching engagement to set, do one bold action. And the way he was going to measure it was he wanted to take one action out of his comfort zone, no expectations. So, and this is a true story. It was around month two, he, we were talking about his goals where he's making progress. And he said, you know, this whole thing of taking an action outside my comfort zone, I haven't done. What the heck? There's a CMO role in a role setting. My stretch goal is to go apply for that. And he was so relieved after he submitted his application because he thought, good, I'm done. So... If you can imagine his surprise when he got a call for the interview and long story short, he got the job and no one was more surprised than him. And so talk about falling into it. That's just another example of how historically physicians have moved into leadership roles. I have a question for you though about this, because I was thinking about um, that whole idea of how physicians have fallen into roles and what's coming up. It seems to me that now there are more opportunities for physician leaders to have a career path so i think of like vp of quality vp of transformation vp of innovation physician integration it seems like there's some new territory opening up for physicians actually chart a leadership
0: career path is what are you seeing around that i think you're right the systems are starting to learn that they've cut the easy stuff the the fluff, the whatever programs that they could get rid of because the margins are coming down. So they're really trying to reduce their expenses. And they found that there's only so far they can get without having to engage physicians because the driver of expense in a health system is the way physicians practice. And if we order MRIs on the pinky every single day on someone who's admitted for pneumonia, it's just gonna drive up cost without value. And they need other physician leaders to talk to doctors and have those critical conversations to reduce the cost of care and improve quality. So sometimes people are, they're just out there a little bit with the way they're practicing. And it it just is a variation that isn't adding value per se. That's a tough conversation for a non-physician to have. So Mm -hmm. I am seeing a lot of health systems Engage physicians into leadership roles because once you tap that physician on the shoulder and say hey we want you to go speak to Joe Joe's causing some issues here. If that <laughs> doctor doesn't have any skills, that's gonna be an awful conversation. It's so, gonna be rough. <laughs> it's gonna be rough. So that's where I'm seeing these roles open up and then doctors have other interests and they start moving into some move into technology some move in more into quality and now you have even hear of some physician CEOs, which was not terribly common 20, 30 years ago. It's not terribly common today, but it's more common. You definitely see some health systems that are financially outperforming others, and they have physicians in the CEO seat. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So. For physicians that want to advance their career, specifically on the administrative side I'm talking about, as opposed to an academic or a research career, which there's a different path to, but assuming, let's assume these are associate CMIOs, they have no direct reports, they have no budget, but they want to get there, and it's hard to get those roles when in the interviews you're being asked, well, have you managed people? How do you get that first one? How, where do they go? What should they do?
1: So as I'm listening to a question, I'm, I'm thinking I want to take a little different direction about what can people do to advance their career. And as I even think about that, I feel like I need to put a disclaimer out there that the number of physicians in their new full-time leadership role, how many of them, when I talk with them say, wow, this is not what I expected. <laughs> And when I say, you know, tell me more, I hear him say, I drive home now and I wonder if I even made a difference. I wonder if I got anything done. I was so used to diagnosing problems, writing a prescription, expecting things to get done quickly, that this whole notion that leadership is about relationships, I wish someone would have given me a memo sooner. So just in terms of advancing people's career, I want to put out there are a number of physicians early in their executive career saying, wow, this is so different than I expected. And I think that's important to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. That saying, when I think about what, what supports physicians to advance their career, I will tell you one of the number one things I think about is supporting physicians to get experience in how to lead change. So, there's this great equation that was made famous by um, GE, and it's simply E equals Q times A. So, the E stands for the effectiveness of leading some kind of change, right? The Q stands for the quality of a technical solution. So, whether it's doing research, gathering data, choosing a vendor, like all the tasky stuff. And then the A is the acceptance or the people side of the solution. And what I see over and over is that physicians usually get the technical side. Um, There's some of the most technical people on the planet, but the, the A side is what can be a surprise. And I actually had one physician, I remember him telling me that the reason why he thinks those skills were hard for him to build is while all his buddies were out, you know, I don't know, hanging in bars, going to the golf course, you know, doing that kind of stuff. He was reading textbooks, performing surgery at 2 a.m. in the ER, pretty much sacrificing a lot of life experience while his peers and colleagues were all out, you know, developing those people skills. So when I think about what supports physicians to advance their career, a lot of it has to do with building that A side of the equation. And to underline that even more, the equation, it's a, it's a multiplier. So if someone spends 10 hours doing the technical stuff, but zero hours, you know, influencing others, navigating conflict, showing empathy, 10 times zero is a big fat zero in terms of effectiveness. So it's really balancing how to build those technical skills with almost those emotional intelligence skills to get that lift and have the impact you want to have. So I'm curious at how that resonates with you when you think about physicians advancing their skills. When it comes to leading change and building up that whole emotional intelligence, how does that resonate with you?
0: CMIOs have a challenge because they don't usually have the technical background. Some do. Some, some came from a computer background, but many do not. So Mm -hmm. we feel behind the ball already from a technology standpoint. We're trying to interact with analysts and the CIO and others who are very technically oriented, and we don't understand the language they're speaking. We can't follow the conversation. So we spend a ton of time on the technical side. Mm -hmm. And then we get in a position where, okay, now we've got the technical skills. Now we want to go out and do something with it. And we left that emotional connection part behind and didn't work on it and change management is exceptionally difficult mm-hmm. and it is not something that we're trained to do ever in med school in residency and certainly not in private practice uh, change management if you're a private practitioner is i said we're going to do this and right. so it gets done <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. that's not how it works in large organizations so I think you're spot on in terms of how important it is, and I think it's a failing of our health system in not coaching and not providing that education for providers as they're up and coming.
1: Exactly. And I think to your point, so what supports people to advance their career, I think it's a game changer when physicians invest in learning those skills. I think even a classic story that I hear from physicians in their first time leadership role Six months into it, 12 months into it would say something like, I used to think that to stop and talk to someone in the hallway was a waste of time. I felt like they were keeping me from my tasks. They're blocking me from my productivity. And it took a while to get into it to realize that actually building genuine relationships with others is actually an important part of how to get the work done. So I think just that whole mind shift of how to understand the impact of emotional intelligence is a big game changer for people who really want to advance their career.
0: Fantastic. I want to talk a little bit about physicians that are more established. They're looking for a paid leadership role, but it seems pretty competitive out there. So how does a more advanced executive stand out from the crowd? Because There are a lot of physicians getting out of clinical medicine for a variety of reasons. Just having an MBA may not be enough anymore. What do you suggest?
1: Yeah, that's good. So people want to stand out. So I can think about this in a few different ways. The first one might sound anticlimactic, but I'm telling you, it's a good one. And that literally is to know thyself. Just in general, I think we as people tend to see the best in ourselves and the worst in others. So to really invest in knowing yourself, that means know your reputation, know your values, know your blind spots, know yourself and grow yourself. And when I think about that, a a quick story comes to mind is I worked with a CMO who was actually late in his career. He really prided himself in being a very good listener, very committed to patient care. He was doing fine according to all the metrics, but he felt like something was just kind of missing in terms of being effective so phase one when we do our coaching engagements it's a discovery process we just we gather information from different sources and one of the sources we had was an assessment and when it got came back i we looked at the data and i asked him what he thought of it and he was completely shocked to learn that he actually had a reputation of being aloof distant and extremely disengaged and he was so mad i remember him telling me there was no way it was true i said okay go choose five colleagues that won't be polite, but they will either validate or not validate. And he came back two weeks later and was even more shocked and said he had no idea that the way he had always seen himself was very analytical, very precise, systematic. And the fact that he came across actively disengaged was a big shocker. So the first thing is literally know yourself and grow yourself. I would say the second thing that that kind of leads to is to build a feedback team. This is not popular at all, but for executives who want to stand out, I will tell you, build a feedback team. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. The most basic one would be just identify four or five colleagues that you trust. Not the people that are nice to you, but people who will be straight up. Ask them to assess um, behaviors that they recommend you start, stop, or continue. Then choose one of them, maybe two, that you want to focus on. Tell your colleagues what you're going to be working on and then just start, just start working it. Just start trying on some new things, start making some improvements, check in with them, track your progress and thank them along the way for giving you feedback. But get really focused in terms of building a feedback team. That one can be a game changer in terms of advancing a career. Hmm. And then the one other thing that comes to mind, it's kind of interesting. I'm curious what you'll think of this. Based on the research that was conducted by the Hogan Institute, their research currently says that seven out of 10 leaders across industries are failing, right? So 70% of leaders are failing. So some fail fast, some fail slow, some don't even know they're failing. But if an executive wants to stand up from the crowd, their research shows six core reasons why 70 leaders are failing. And I'll tell you what they are, but... I'll tell you two or three and I'm curious if you see this happening, okay? Uh, so the first reason leaders fail is inability to adapt to the demands of a position. So that means a physician could be at a 200 bed hospital in one role, move to another 200 bed hospital in a completely different role and totally fail. And it comes from just not assimilating into the culture, which is really critical. So inability to adapt to the demands is one reason they fail. A second reason why leaders fail is the inability to think strategically. I'm sure you see it in nursing and other areas, but physicians are no exception. They may have a default of thinking in silos or having that vertical vision and that can cause failure. And the third one is simply inability to develop good working relationships. So what I've seen in some places is physicians still have that mentality of being captain of the ship. And so they need to unlearn that skill to really understand the importance of influence because it's really through influence that a lot of people are able to develop good working relationships and teams. So let me pause there and ask if those three, the research shows those are three reasons why leaders fail. So you could flip those to think about how executives could stand out from the crowd, right? They could adapt to demands, they could think strategically and build good working relationships. What are your thoughts on those first three?
0: And I think it's the third one that is the one that can kill a career and moving from the I'm captain of the ship. And I, I don't mean to pick on any of my surgical colleagues, but when they're in the O.R., they truly are captain mm-hmm. of the ship. The life of the patient is in their hands. They're responsible. Right. And then they go in, they leave the O.R. and go into a, a boardroom, a conference room, and they're talking to people and they have to shift gears. And that can be very difficult to do. And so they have the answer already. They have it in their head. They've had it. They had it before the question was even asked. They know the right answer, and mm-hmm. they're ready to present it and say, "This is what we're doing. Let's go get them." And mm-hmm. not everyone has caught up, and there are others who are more cautious, particularly in healthcare. They've adopted a mindset of, "We need to be absolutely sure that we have all the variables and that we're going to do this completely safe." And the doctor may already have the answer and be like, "No, we're well, let's go," and that conflict can be very challenging for a doctor. And I think that would be why they would fail. I can't, seventy percent is a huge number uh, to be failing, though. But I hope it's not that high. But it's huge. Uh, perhaps, perhaps <laughs> yeah, perhaps I have to open my eyes and look more at, at how you define failure or, or success of a position. But uh, oh, and actually, if I could. Can... Let, let mm-hmm. me go back and
1: correct one thing. So the seven out of ten failing—that's for leadership across all industries. So manufacturing, sales, retail. So it's seventy percent of leaders across all industries. Got it. Got yes, it. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, not remotely related to physicians. I just wanted to set the context that that's the environment executives are looking at when they're looking at building their role and moving into those more senior roles. That's the context they're moving into.
0: Some physicians are finding it hard to move up in their own organization. And physicians aren't as mobile as some others. Like if I was in Silicon Valley as a computer engineer, you can pick up and move. Whereas with a physician, they have a clinical part that takes time to build that practice and those relationships with patients or something that builds up over time. And obviously that depends on the specialty, but jumping to another city isn't easy. It's a hard decision to make. So what's your advice here? If someone's not moving, they're not seeing the growth, they're they're getting restless, do they sit and wait the turn or do they jump ship? What would you advise?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. So you guys, I'm a coach, right? So I don't advise, but I will tell you ways of thinking about it because it's a really good Uh question. I would say the first thing is know the job description of what some leadership roles are that are out there, whether it's in your organization or outside. Number two, really start identifying some of your best accomplishments. And as it aligns with possible job descriptions of what you want to do. And it doesn't hurt to think about interviewing either internally or externally, the key around doing that is really there's a model called STAR. Really select, I'd say three or four stars to help structure your responses if you do go out and start interviewing. And then choose a learning goal so that as you go through this process of choosing, do I stay or do I go, there's a benefit for you along the way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really getting clear on what your accomplishments are and how they align with some possibilities or future possibilities. What I'll tell you is that in general, all people go through this, not even just physicians, but if it's worth staying or moving.
0: I envision a leader as, as someone who helps build others. That's part of being a leader. It's inseparable from the position. How do you see particularly with a CMIO who's going to be growing the roles of some provider informaticists. They may be nurse practitioners, physician assistants. They could be doctors who are just coming into the roles. They are a point one or a point two. How can they develop their leadership skills to foster growth in others?
1: Okay, this is such like a sixty-four million dollar question. I love it. I love I love that even asking the question how to develop others. So the short answer would be um sitting down to have a conversation with each person, literally to ask about their goals and how their goals align with a company mission. They might even start out by saying, I don't know, but start out by asking what are your goals and how does that align with a company mission. Then secondly, I would choose an assessment to help them. Understand their strengths and how to be more effective. There's lots of them out there. So it's really important to choose an assessment that's aligned with their goals. And then simply build a leadership plan, implement the plan and follow up regularly. Now given that, I will tell you two specific tips that I think can be useful. And the first is when building a leadership plan, I would urge people to consider looking at what are the technical skills and the interpersonal skills, right? Like that E equals Q times A. So really look at technically, what are some of the skills they want to learn? And then interpersonal skills, maybe there's some skills around adaptability, influence, teamwork, what are some interpersonal skills they want to learn? So build a leadership plan and look at both technical and interpersonal skills. The other tip I would give someone who's growing others is to really empower the other person to be responsible for managing their own progress and their leadership plan. There can be a really empowering way to set a cadence where you meet with that person once a month. And Marcus Buckingham has a set of six great questions. You can use them each month and that can support that other person to really manage their own progress. So the six questions are broken up into in the last month, there's three questions. And then in the upcoming month, here's three questions. And they're very simple, but you can use them over and over and over. And they go like this, when you meet with someone after you've built their plan to say, so in the last month, what are some of your important accomplishments? And ask them specifically around whether it's dashboard, ratings, timelines, what are some of their important accomplishments? Second is in the last month, what have you learned? And it could be anything, insights they got from a presentation, maybe they job shadowed someone for an hour, Maybe it was a, an article they read, but simply ask them, what have you learned? And then thirdly, what's really critical is to ask them what partnerships they've built. And even if people aren't even aware of what that question means, it can start bringing onto their radar screen the importance of either establishing or strengthening relationships. So you ask them in the last month, those three questions, then you pivot and you say, so looking to the upcoming month, what is your focus? What do you wanna learn? and what new partnerships do you wanna build? And that can really empower another person to keep flexing their plan, keep aligning it with what excites them, what energizes them and serves the organization.
0: That's so simple, I love it though. It's It's so powerful, uh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I wanna talk a little bit about corporate politics because it's not something physicians are typically prepared for when they jump into a leadership role. And some will say, don't play politics, that's not good, you don't wanna create an us versus them environment. Others will say being politically savvy is part of emotional intelligence and is a vital part of being a leader and a physician executive. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, well, whoever said, don't do the us versus them mentality, they were spot on, right? (laughs) And the whole idea of, of having the meeting after the meeting, like it's easy to say, but that just, that does not work. I would, I guess when I think about politics, I would almost zoom out a bit. And in full transparency, there are definitely cultures where there are executives and they might not even be conscious, but they're definitely competing, manipulating, they're fragmented, they're building wedges between divisions. They might not intend it, they might not want to, but for whatever reason, they're just, there's something that's kind of off that's happening there. So I'm not going to deny that. What I will tell you is I am definitely seeing less of this. I see more and more people really committed to building that whole muscle of, of, as you say, in emotional intelligence language, it's called organizational awareness. So that literally means like understanding what are the social networks, understanding what is the culture of a team, understanding what are the informal structures and informal processes of how work gets done even understanding some of the unspoken rules of how people work. Because it is very natural for people to start off with different agendas, different priorities, but what great leaders do is they build trust, especially of people that they're not fond of. So I think this whole notion of being transparent, building the muscle of organizational awareness, really helps teams to deliver on their mission.
0: Have you seen examples where... A physician has torpedoed their career, and what can we learn from that mistake, particularly around politics, or where they just played it wrong? Has anyone ever come to you looking for help because of a situation like that?
1: I think, what a, when you say torpedoed their career, I'm getting such a visual. So when I think about that, I've seen people get very close, and then either they see the writing on the walls and change their behavior, or they leave, but I would say, hands down, the biggest thing that could torpedo someone's career is blaming others so if people get themselves in a position where they're contributing to the us versus them mentality or they're telling stories about why they can't do something that is the fast track to fail and the learning I think is when physicians move into leadership to really have some awareness of how their role is to find a way to rise above whatever the current circumstances are and really find their way, their path to show what ownership looks like so that they can be part of the solution and help other people be part of the solution.
0: Fantastic. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Sandy. <laughs> if people wanted to get in contact with you to learn more, what's the best way to do that?
1: Real easy. LinkedIn, I'm under Sandy Scott. Email is sandy at com. We email back within 24 hours. More folks can hop on our website. Uh, you can sign up and we commit to sending uh, an, a newsletter out once a month with really good content that we want to pass along for free at scale. And people can sign up there if they're interested.
0: And you have a podcast that people could listen to as well. I do. they They can find that, I assume, on the iTunes Store or Google Play as well. Exactly,
1: exactly. High-impact physicians, and we're really excited to have you on uh, next week.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Sandy, once again, thank you for coming on the show. This has been really informative, and I greatly appreciate you helping CMIOs everywhere advance their careers.
1: Well, thank you. I'll tell you what. I think physicians are the professionals that are going to lead us forward in creating the future of healthcare. And thank you for the opportunity to learn from you today and for all that you do.
0: And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast.gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Some of your ideas for shows guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.